0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat. Welcome to Night School, the show that explores key themes in history, the social sciences and the humanities. We critically unpack theories, frameworks and social phenomena, the better to understand how society works. Each week we discuss classic texts, Team or an idea that we hope to shed light on the world around you. We're going to talk about cultural studies in Taiwan today and to join the conversation is Professor Joyce Liu. Mm-hmm. You are currently Professor of Critical Theory, Cultural Studies and Comparative Literature in the Institute of Social Research and Cultural Studies at Chaotong University Taiwan. Yes, yes. Welcome Hi. to the show. Hi. And it's fascinating. I didn't know about cultural studies in Taiwan. I didn't know there was a history to it. I saw that you gave a talk recently at University of Malaya. But first things first, though. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about your impressions of Malaysia so far. This is your first trip, correct? Yeah, my
1: first trip. Yeah, what yes. comes
0: to mind based on what you've seen so far?
1: Well, I think it's a very highly developed city here. At least. Yeah, mm-hmm. and very modernized, but also have many traditional. Elements in it, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Different corners, different a uh, district that uh, I think gathering people uh, with different maybe ethnic, mm-hmm. yeah, identities. And I think it it's clean. The first day that I mm-hmm. <laughs> came here, yeah. I found it very clean, but. Then, uh, I noticed that the traffic is bad. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So it's yeah. a standard Southeast Asian yeah, city. Very, but very slightly more or less cleaner than most around the region, but not as clean maybe as Singapore. Yeah, but right. uh, we're yeah. getting there slowly. And I think a lot of the connections that we can draw with the Malaysia and Taiwan is the paths of modernization that yeah. continues to be a question that both countries, I think, struggle with, right? Right. And modernization of political culture, modernization of the economy, where... On one hand, we're a part of the global flows of capital, a part of the broader story of Mm -hmm. colonialism that Mm -hmm. developed over hundreds of years. But at the same time, we also have our own unique identities and unique established traditions, right, Right. that meet with that flows of global hegemony. And I think that's what makes... Cultural studies in the region very interesting. Yeah. Sure, sure, yeah.
1: sure, sure. Yeah, I also noticed that in Malaysia, you actually have different ethnic traditions. Mm-hmm. So this is actually difficult to deal with when you really want to think of equality mm-hmm. among different people, right, mm-hmm, with different mm-hmm. origins. But it seems that it, it's okay nowadays. No, now, I mean, uh, from the outsiders
0: Yeah, Yeah, there are issues, but we're gradually learning on how to deal with them better. And this is where I feel that at least in terms of cultural studies, it's not necessarily in Malaysia a unified discourse yet mm-hmm. because there have been Indian-Malaysian studies, Chinese-Malaysian yeah. studies, and Malay studies, but they're not necessarily all talking to each other in the same way. You know, yeah. So this is where I find it interesting that we can kind of have a glimpse of how it's been like in Taiwan. Mm. So how did this discipline begin in Taiwan? Like, At what point do you sense that it was starting to become its own discourse.
1: Yeah. Actually, when I talked about the difficulties of Malaysian society to bridge together different ethnic groups, different people with different origins, I was about to say that there are still these partitions. There are still these internal inequalities Mm -hmm. or internal gaps that made this so-called community difficult. In Taiwan, that is the same situation, a problem that we faced during the martial law period because the mainlanders, uh, they withdrew from mainland China after the failure of the civil war. They came to Taiwan and established a government. Mm -hmm. But because of this incident, the accidents of this 228th event, the struggle and the fight and the conflict between mainlanders and the uh, Islanders so-called so, so indigenous uh, Taiwanese yeah. people mm-hmm. turned out to be in discriminative uh, hurting and the hunting down and the killing of the melanders mm-hmm. then the government's army came to surprise that caused a huge or uh, even larger death toll Officially, it's a 8,000. It's wow. a lot larger than mm-hmm. your case. But officially, it's a 18,000. Wow. And that case was never brought up to the public during the martial law period. So that means from 1947 to 1987, it's not discussed openly, publicly, officially. But the movement of this protest and also the movement to demand human right, starting from very early 80s, that triggered the social movement and social awareness, actually, Mm -hmm. consciousness of this past taught, um, undiscussed, traumatic experience Mm -hmm. that affected the the general public, from common people, civilian to laborers, farmers, and intellectuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an island-wide awakening to what government they were being educated under and also being trained under. So Mm -hmm. the social movement, including literary and artistic and theatrical, and also labor movement, farmers' movement, women's movement, that started from early 80s and it became very vehement in around 86 and 87. Mm -hmm. So that forced the government to announce the lifting of the martial law in the year 87. Mm -hmm. The reason that I mention this is because this challenge against this very authoritative dictatorship of the government, this challenge came from all different fields Mm -hmm. and different corners that would include the disciplinary tradition. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the past, before the 80s, and actually even till nowadays, many disciplines were formed according to the US system that mm-hmm. is if it is psychology it is experimental empirical studies if it is sociology it's a statistic and so on so there's no real relevance to mm-hmm. society I see. but in early 90s literary scholars sociology, social sciences, and artists, and so on, they all joined into the social movement. Mm -hmm. So they realized that traditional discipline could not teach them or could not enable them to face a society and to Mm -hmm. think the questions, the problems that the society is facing and could not come out with the solution Mm -hmm. to their question. Mm -hmm. So cultural studies actually gradually Emerge firstly from English literature. It mm-hmm. is very strange, but because in English literature department, people or uh, teachers and students are taught to read a lot of critical theories. Mm-hmm. So critical theories in feminism, mm-hmm. critical theory in human right, critical theories of uh, political philosophy, and so on. So the first wave or first group of people who triggered this birth of cultural studies is from literature department. Mm -hmm. And in the
0: 90s too, that was when theory boomed in the West, right? People were starting to read. Uh, Early
1: on, uh, in the 80s, because people went abroad and studied, Mm -hmm. and they came back with Gramsci, Mm -hmm. Deleuze, Dehida, Foucault, and so Mm -hmm. on. So in the beginning, there's a huge booming, of course, of teaching uh, theories. But... Along with this movement of lifting of the martial law, because before the lifting of the martial law, there's a huge, massive uh, protest and demanding the uh, lifting of martial law. And also student movement within campuses, they demand autonomy on campus. They demand the abolishment of censorship. Mm -hmm. And also they demand the teachers and students, they have their right on campus Mm -hmm. and the government should not intervene not to mention military intervention. So this is before the the lifting of uh, martial Mm -hmm. law. So-called martial law means publication act, so no critical thought, critical speeches, critical discourse should be published, critical in terms of uh, against the government, Mm -hmm. right? But before the lifting of martial law, there's uh, on the street, on campuses, and from different locations, even environmental issues and aboriginal issues Mm -hmm. or this child prostitute issues, and this woman's working right or equal right, and so on. They all emerge. So people started to think that they need to deal with this situation, the questions and dilemmas through intellectual channel. Mm -hmm.
0: How far-reaching was the censorship? Would they be screening journals? Would they be attending lectures? They could be put into
1: jail. Now, of, of course, the obvious sign is that the Journals are banned, mm-hmm. right? From the early '50s, they are right after the declaration of the emergency and also the martial law. The first several act was publication act. Mm-hmm. Okay, twice uh, in '53 and '56. Not only that, uh, those journals. Or banned but also the publisher could be put into jail mm-hmm. for 20 years and more wow. many of them mm-hmm. and during that we call it white tarot that is not red that is not bloody but there are many people who were put into jail for 20 30 years and mm-hmm. also executed because they were tagged with the crime some treason mm-hmm. okay or affiliated with Communist Party. Mm-hmm. Okay. But even in that case, in the seventies and early eighties, there are numerous of journals and magazines emerge, even though they could be banned within four issues, but the other journals could come out publishing democratic ideas and human rights and this and that.
0: So it's a very dangerous time to be talking about subversive ideas. People could be listening, people could be reporting.
1: Yeah, right, could be followed and could be warned. Yeah, But the real tension or real difficult situation was in the first, I think, to 10 years or second decades. But that martial law lasted for 40 years, mm-hmm. right? It's rare because it's not during the war time. Mm-hmm. But people are not allowed to do assembly in the street, are not allowed to publish newspapers on their own. They are not allowed to publish any book or journal uh, unless it's being approved was this
0: tied to the cold war scare at the time the region was so uncertain right sure, in terms sure, of the ideological sure. obviously, development obviously. yeah, yeah right. so yeah. We, we
1: call it uh this is of course us influence mm-hmm. and uh, because they are a military base and they are all different institution set by United States, and we call it is and internalized. Mm-hmm. So those tarot, communist phobia, were also transplanted or rooted in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's also because of the residue from the civil war. And many in China, People's Republic of China, threatened to wash the island with blood and take over Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And there are several so called they call it Taiwan Strait Crisis, they bombard Cayman Island, this offshore island, and also they send real spies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> real spies. So there are of course legitimate reason to be cautious. But during that period of time there are many uh, false charge accusation yep. because of all different reasons. Yeah, right.
0: Mm. Well, that's a very interesting sketch with the context. But well, we'll take a break right now. We'll, we'll come back after the messages to get into more detail about the development of cultural studies in Taiwan. Sure. With us is Dr. Joyce Liu and I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to me, Ahmad Fuad Rahmat, joined this week by Professor Joyce Liu, who is talking to us about the history of cultural studies in Taiwan and the first part of the show You gave us the broad political context out of which the discipline became relevant, largely to address the gaps in real-life political questions that were not addressed in academia because it was under the grip of martial law for the longest time. And people who had subversive ideas or discourses that were thought to be threatening to the government were basically suppressed. Now, in the early 90s, things changed and there were more interest in critical theory, feminist theory, so on and so forth. Now... What do you mean by cultural studies? Because when we think about cultural studies, we're thinking about Raymond Williams, Stuart Hall in the Mm -hmm. UK, and it took its own trajectory and was localized there. But in Taiwan, what were your earliest references? What were your earliest intellectual influences?
1: All right. Actually, cultural studies has to be locally contextualized. That means historically, culturally, socially contextualized and re generate, engage re engineered. Mm-hmm. So Raymond Williams and other people could be a name, but it's not the only model. Mm-hmm. And in Taiwan during the nineties, because of this discontent with the previous regime and also in terms of all aspect, in terms of academic disciplinary diversion and so on. So there are, were many forum discussions in cafe, in tea house Mm -hmm. and in different places scholars intellectuals from different fields gathered together okay for example queer and lesbian issues was one of them but the others would be migrant workers it's Mm -hmm. very early on people started to discuss questions of the inequality Mm -hmm. and those are invisible communities in the society and this total unfair and even the attitude as a Mm neo-slavery that people adopted but they they are not aware of it okay they are bourgeois Mm -hmm. they are middle class people they don't think they could commit any wrong things but they are really treating all the people unfairly so those are also the things we discuss of course they are human rights and environmental issue Mm -hmm. and other things so people started to realize that the original discipline of literature, even British literature, or history, or philosophy, could not allow them to really address these emerging changes in society and mm-hmm. these uh, critical issues they need to identify, they need to address. Mm-hmm. So they started to form this groups, but then later on, there were different magazines, magazines two okay, different uh, workshop, But toward the end of the 90s, Association of Cultural Studies were established. Mm-hmm. Chen Guangxin, Professor mm-hmm. Chen, a very famous international mm-hmm. scholar, was the founder. Right. Okay, He's the
0: author of Asia's Method.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. And also the Journal of uh, Inter-Asia Cultural Studies. Mm-hmm. And together with him, I, myself, and other colleagues at Josephine He and Liu Ren and other people they were all there as the uh, founding members mm-hmm. and starting then there was no institute or department or uh, whatever official disciplinary institute of cultural studies but we established the association
0: yeah now all these names you mentioned now were they of a more specific Anglophone persuasion, or they, did they study in France? I mean, what were their backgrounds that they okay. brought into Taiwan uh, okay. that they had to renegotiate? In the beginning,
1: mostly people came back from the States mm-hmm. because in Taiwan, people originally all went to the United States, and so they came back. Of course, Larry Grossberg mm-hmm. and also feminist theories and mostly critical theories, mm-hmm. okay, and even Marxists, okay, a huge number of people who started to read and discuss Marx. And also Freud, okay, Lagan and also Gramsci, and, and so on. So a huge passion for these critical theories emerge. Mm-hmm. And also people started to translate and the teach in classroom, even mm-hmm. though they are in English department, they teach the Hida or Foucault. Okay, and, other, uh, and also
0: Marx and mm-hmm. so on. So there was actually a dual-layered process from what you tell me. First, coming back to Taiwan, the new political circumstance and also localizing the text, right? Translating yeah. it, making right. the terms right. familiar and stuff right, like that. Right, yeah. right.
1: But also, so-called localizing is to make it geared to a local situation. So it's not just to study the Western text, but to understand and to discuss their notion their approach and how they tackle with their mm. own problematics okay yeah. because the Western scholars they had to deal with totalitarianism mm-hmm. in Auschwitz and also this racism or this feminism, and so on, that they were dealing with in starting from early 60s, right? All this Foucault, mm-hmm. Dehida, and every every scholars we have been reading. But we need to address our own issues. People also started to compose their own syllabus, okay? Our textbook you know, in college, in graduate school, we never use single text. We, we always compile different articles. Basing on different topics and agenda, we want to do it in classroom. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm so jealous right now because I wish we had something like that here in the 90s, you know, but <laughs> we're just becoming more and more bourgeois then. But you came back to Asia at a time when there was already existing discourses of decolonization, post colonial theory, but that, of course, you know, mirrored certain limitations as well, right? Because it was produced in the West, actually. Sure, sure. You know? sure so sure. to what extent did you engage with, say, the subaltern studies or other regional? projects that were similar to yours.
1: Yeah. When I came back to Taiwan it was in 84. It's not that much there yet. Okay, but uh, it was a lot of uh, this uh, introduction and translation and discussion in late 80s and early 90s. Okay. But besides well of course I'm a literature background person. I did comparative literature. I taught Kesava, Freud, Lagan and the literature and the arts and so on and Taiwanese literature in the Japanese colonial period and also and so on. But then of course this colonial condition in Taiwan is apparent mm-hmm. and people had to deal with it. Whenever people started to read history. And other people, they also started to talk about and discuss this so-called subaltern people, that is the, the proletariat, mm-hmm. that's the dependent, they are suppressed and oppressed and so on. So from different discipline, from sociology, social sciences, and from communication, and from even philosophy later on, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, mm.
0: Were there many compromises that you had to make between becoming a loose network of like-minds outside the so-called system now to being a part of a university as an institution, you know, where mm. rules and regulations, with bureaucracy? I yeah. mean, it sounds like it's a positive thing that you're offering this at universities, but I assume that it's been quite the adjustment to make, you know, from being mm. a movement, a discursive yeah. a collective to now mm. being you know, mm. an office in a, you know, in an institution. Sure, sure, so sure, what was sure. that transition now,
1: like? Uh, you know, it never has been easy because when the establishment of this association to the establishment of the first Institute of Social Research and Culture Studies in Taiwan that I established in 2001, ever since then, Different disciplines, uh, scholars will challenge us because we also need to be reviewed by the Ministry of Education, of our institute. okay, you have to be uh, approved, quote Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's an interdisciplinary institute and it's a transdisciplinary institution. We have scholars from sociology, literature, communication and political science and from Japanese history of ideas and also anthropology. So we have a composition of people from different disciplines. So when the review session started, people from sociology would ask us, why didn't you teach statistics? Mm-hmm. Anthropology, people would say, why didn't you go to this museums for the anthropological studies and do some sort of collaboration with local enterprises mm-hmm. and so so they ask different questions than ours but so we have been challenged, but we have also slowly established our status and mm-hmm. it's being acknowledged domestically and also internationally mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: did you have a particular target of critique in that you know for subaltern studies for example they were looking at historiography? different notion of who it is that the agent of history is, right? And Mm. the discussions would be different, but they would be organized around the same more or less anchoring questions, right? Or, you know, every discipline will have so-called the boogeyman, right? So maybe for Marxism, it would be capitalism or for maybe Orientalist scholarship it would be colonialism or something. But Mm. what was hegemony, How was that identified in the Taiwanese cultural studies context? Was it necessarily American imperialism or was it Chinese imperialism? What was the object of critique?
1: It varies. You know, certain scholars will think the U.S. is an empire that we need to fight back. And some people will say, like Chen Guangxin, he would say, we need to fight against a Eurocentric model and we need to take Asia as our method. But there are different ways to approach his perspective, okay? Because to us nowadays, when we talk about Asia or asia Cultural studies, we talk about critical inter-Asia cultural studies. We know that there's a different areas, different regions. It's so complex and a full of conflict mm-hmm. historically Okay, and also geopolitically, not to mention this traditional feudal system or mm-hmm. this uh, tributary system or the later empires locally established in the colonial period and the Cold War, the SCM, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or this uh, Trans-Pacific uh, Rim, this security. Strategy and there's a post-Cold War period Mm -hmm. where there's a neoliberalism and this flow of capital you mentioned several times is affecting every society. We actually are trying to locate our target of critique according to different agenda, Mm -hmm. okay, and different problematic. Actually, we could approach this issue through visual studies, Mm -hmm. through gender and sexuality studies, so through assessing and the questioning of the modernity in Asia Mm -hmm. or through social movement and so on. So if we want to talk about a specific agenda nowadays, we are focusing on conflict, justice, and decolonization in Asia. Uh, And we want to do translocal study, Taiwan and Northeast Asia, Taiwan and Southeast Asia, and South Asia, of course, including China. Because when we talk about this precarious bodies and the unequal citizenship or the part with no part, people who live here, work here, stay here, but they do not share the equal uh, right to participate. In a society, when we say citizen, it means city dwellers. Mm-hmm. So everyone who stay here should be considered a citizen. It should not be abstractly identified as a national citizen, okay? according to his origin, his mm-hmm. accent, his religion, his ethnic group, and so on. So if you want to talk about subaltern, those are the underclass, uh, unacknowledged, invisible, yep. unheard, inaudible mm-hmm. uh, group.
0: Right. Yeah, theoretical work in Asia is so hard to do because it's been at the intersections of so many different influences and it right. continues to mutate that way. I mean, yeah. if you just think of Southeast Asia and the closest similarity I can think of is probably the Caribbean where you had the Dutch here, the French here, the English, the Portuguese mm. all setting up. There are enterprises in close proximity producing different hybridities. Sure. But at the same time they're so also interconnected. Yeah. Right. You know, and our problems are so intertwined. Sure. sure you know, sure. that you said you we need translocal approaches. We mm. need to see how these interconnections growing, you know, are mm. intensifying. It's not mm. it's hard to think of a one size fits all model sure, or agenda. Sure. No, yeah. I
1: don't think we need to trust those uh, existing Post-colonial or decolonial theory that much. Mm-hmm. We don't need to mm-hmm. because the first step is always historical research, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right? When we say translocal studies, doesn't mean we share the same model. Exactly. But we can exchange our experiences, but every study, every research should be locally contextualized. As I said, just now, It's always historically implicated. That means different historical Processes, yeah, yeah and regime. I take your
0: point too. That this is a, not just a challenge to knowledge, but also a challenge to how knowledge is produced. In that, in the Western bourgeois model of scholarship, sees the scholars isolated in the library, always divorced from the world to get into his mind. But if we take the challenge you describe seriously knowledge production has to happen in dialogue, in conversation, sure, sure, uh, in these sorts of interaction.
1: And it's textual
0: and live, right? Yeah,
1: and if any intellectual is asking for integrity of himself or herself, he has to face the society. Mm-hmm. And he should not or he, she should not uh, just lock herself in the classroom or the study room to produce uh, papers. Uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything to other people. So the interaction means to severe challenge of ourselves to face the lack and the lack of knowledge mm-hmm. of ourselves. And so that's why, like for myself, I've been reading all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> ever since my graduation from my doctoral studies and until now. So I change my syllabus every year or every other year. And of course, I repeat some reading materials that I think are important. But because my agenda and my problematic will mutate, and because I am different from the past, mm-hmm. from the 90s, from the early two thousand, and even from five years ago. Mm-hmm. And also it's because I'm encountering different students and different scholars from around the world. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety is tremendous. Mm-hmm. But to overcome this through reading and writing and discussing in classroom and in conferences, in workshop, and to come up with of my reading through writing, that's... A rewarding experience. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, we also face an infrastructural problem, at least, you know, the humanities in the West, to a large extent, even in Malaysia, that we're not getting much financial support. So, a lot of the things that we like to do are not getting the institutional backing and the fact that academics are working more now and junior teaching staff are really treated like cheap labor in some places makes a lot of the ideals that you talk about very, very difficult. I mean, what is it like in Taiwan? Is it different there or is it the same story like elsewhere and that the humanities is being underappreciated and under attack?
1: It's all the time. It's there all the time. That's why we've struggled a lot. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting because our institute, my institute is located in the a university that uh, emphasized computer science and all this engineering and so on. So humanities and social sciences are a very small corner. And also we established a new institute. This is a transdisciplinary. So our institute is formed by scholars about my age, 50 and 60, and also forties and so on. So we have been there uh, fighting for this program for some years but we don't have any elder people to dictate and to control mm-hmm. so we explore our own path and we try our best to apply for funding actually humanities and social sciences they don't really need that much budget compared to our other but department. engineering
0: for example engineering yeah right Our is yeah.
1: just small piece of cake yeah, so yeah. sometimes they don't mind to Share it with us. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the hope globally. Give us a small piece of the pie and let yeah, us right. do our thing, yeah, right? Right, right, right. Uh, unfortunately, we have to start a discussion now, sure. but I do want to ask for your suggestions for the books that people can look up, you know, if they want to know more about cultural studies in Taiwan. What do you have in mind?
1: I think we do have several, uh, uh, there are a huge amount of them, I could not list them, but there are several uh, journals. One is Reuters, Journal of Cultural Studies, it's in Mandarin. Mm. But we publish actually articles by authors from Malaysia, Indonesia, mm. uh, Hong Kong, China, mm. and of course Taiwan, and the F- Singapore and, and the Philippines. So, But there's also another journal, This is edited by uh, Chen Guangxin.
0: Yeah, one of the books that I always recommend, even when not discussing Taiwan, but just in general because it's so captivating, is Asia as Method by Quan Singh. Yeah, right. Which is, I think it captures a lot of some of the things that we talked about today, too.
1: Sure, sure, sure. But don't trust anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Hermeneutics of suspicion, right? That's very, very good. Right, 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 right. Everyone should have his own or her own. Position, yeah, 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 right, and to judge and evaluate and yeah. to absorb things that they think are important for them. And so uh, for me, there's no real uh, just a short list of reading that we could recommend because people should explore That's true. according to their own project and to explore their own reading list.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and establish
1: to, their own reading list. Yes. Yeah,
0: and continue the conversation nowadays because it's so easy with social media that we can just talk and share ideas. You know, it's I can't imagine like nowadays. A lot of my work during my doctorate is helped by Google Scholar, and I, if I just want to know what's being said on the topic, I just key it in and then it's there. And I can't imagine like 10 years ago, people did it without sure. Google Scholar. <laughs> they have sure. to go to the library, look for journals. I said, wow, I have no excuse to sure, sure, to sure, just sure. learn, you know, because sure. it's, uh, it's available all over. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, thanks so much for sharing your sure. knowledge and sharing so much about Taiwan I did not know before. And it sounds very exciting then. We wish you all the best. And we'd love to have you on the show again to talk about other topics when you come back to KL. And we hope you do, you know, because <laughs> you can contribute to a lot of... of what no, I enjoy my here. visit. I learned a wonderful. lot. Uh, yeah, right. Thank wonderful. you for your invitation. And do you have Twitter? Uh, are you on social media? People can look you up. Maybe Twitter or Instagram? No, okay. <laughs> but they can <laughs> they can Google you,
1: Joyce sure, Liu, sure. and sure, they'll find sure, your sure.
0: Wikipedia page and your titles. And, yeah, right, right. Uh, right, right yeah, yeah. They, they can Most <laughs>
1: welcome. Definitely. <laughs> and or also welcome to visit Taiwan. <laughs> wonderful,
0: wonderful. And, uh, and I,
1: I will invite some of the scholars and social groups and activists uh, to, to Taiwan for yeah. different issues. We have all different issues that we are tackling yeah. nowadays. Yes.
0: And uh, maybe when they're back, they can share their experience on sure. uh, the show too. Sure, so, sure, sure. Or look us up on Facebook. Just type BFM Night School as search space or email us at bfmnightschool.gmail.com Or download our app that is at the Apple App Store, Google Play. Once again, I'm Ahmad Fahra joined this week by Professor Joyce Liu. And this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.